0: Today I'd like to share with you a message from two letters of Apostle Paul that he wrote to Timothy. Both of these letters contain many encouraging words and directions from the Apostle that can help any believer in their personal lives at any given time of need. And that's what we read in these two letters. He has many things to say. Uh, He also covers the qualification of the elders, deacons, and so on. But that's the top layer of what we see in these two letters. There's another layer with much more serious note that we can see in these two letters. He speaks of that they were going through a serious crisis at the time that he wrote the letter. And also, church was going to a turning point in their history of Christianity. All of that was happening during the same time. Most of you know that the second letter of Timothy is his last letter he wrote and it is in this letter towards the end he says that I'm about to be poured out like a drink offering and the time of my departure is at hand. He knew that after a short while he wrote the second letter that he would be uh, executed and that's exactly what happened. So that's one of the reasons that he's writing. I would say one of the important reasons why he's writing these letters to Timothy. I wanted to know for today's message the timeline of all the apostles, how they died or they were killed for their calling that they all had. So searching for this, I know I have a book at home, but I just didn't want to look for it, find it. But I came across this article that says majority of the apostles, this, I'm talking about the 11 of them, died around year 70 AD of course James as you know from the book of acts he died very early not too long after the pentecost he was the first one who was martyred right at the beginning but the rest of them they died around year 70 AD apostle paul was beheaded in the year 69 AD two of them um, they died for their calling around 74 So I'm just averaging around 70 AD, all of them were gone except, of course, Apostle John, that he lived in his 90s. In the year 64 AD, if you remember the history from Rome, the Emperor Nero burned Rome, and he wanted to find a group of people to accuse them of burning the Rome. So the scapegoat, of course, fell upon the Christians, and the persecution of the Christians began from year 64. All of that continued all the way to time of the Apostle John, that he was exiled in the island of Patmos for just that reason. Because everywhere in the Roman Empire, all the Christians were being persecuted. And it is one of the most horrible atrocities that happened to the Christians in the history of humanity. I mean, the cruelty, the way they persecuted the Christians everywhere in the Roman Empire was just unheard of. This is all happening at the same time and Apostle Paul knew what was coming just as the fact that he says, I'm about to be poured out like a drink offering and the time of my departure is at hand. I always appreciate his usage of the word departure rather than saying time of my death is coming or something like that because the word departure back then they used it when their ship left the harbor. It's the beginning of the journey. And for him, it was the beginning of the journey to the eternity, being with the Lord, just as much as he wanted to be the Lord uh, that we see in his letters. So all of that was happening. And Apostle Paul is writing all this to Timothy. He wanted to make sure that after he's gone, that a responsible group of people will take over the ministry that he was into, that he gave his life for. He wanted to make sure that all of that will continue, and specifically to Timothy and all those who he names in these two letters. And that's part of why he's writing all this. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15, he says, This you know that all those in Asia have turned away from me. The other verse is from chapter 4, verse 16 and 17. He says, At my first defense, no one stood with me, but all forsook me. May it not be charged against them, but the Lord stood with me and strengthened me. This was a fact by the time that he was imprisoned in Rome as he was writing his last letter, the second letter. As he says in the first one that I read, this you know that all those in Asia have turned away from me. He's not saying some have turned away, but all of them have turned away from me. This is Asia Minor. All the seven churches we read in the book of Revelation. It is hard to believe that after this apostle ministered and taught them in everything he got he gave to these churches but yet by this time this is around let's say just before 69 A.D. they all turned away from him. And turning away from Apostle Paul meant that they were turning away from the Lord Jesus himself because he was the ambassador of the gospel of life that he speaks of. The second verse that I read, it says, The Lord stood by me, and he strengthened me. That's what his confidence Though people could go away, but the Lord is always there according to his promise. In his second letter, towards the end, he says, Come to him before the winter begins. And he says, when you come, bring my cloak with you that I left in Troas. Troas is a small port city in Greece. And the books and especially the parchments. Here's this aged Apostle Paul in prison, which was not a, more than a hole in the ground. This verse tells me that nobody, all the believers, did not care for his needs. First Timothy from chapter 6. The verse I want to read for you is from 11. But I want to read the context just for you to know what he's talking about. Reading from verse 6, Now, godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world, and it is certain we cannot carry nothing out. Down the line, here's the context of what he's saying. Verse 10 he says, For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed away from the faith, in their greediness, and pierced themselves through many sorrows. Here's the verse 11 that I want to read. But you, O man of God, he's calling Timothy a man of God. But you, O man of God, flee these things, and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, gentleness, fight the good fight of faith, lay hold of the eternal life to which you were also called and have confessed the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. It's not hard to see what he's saying, but the one is difficult to understand. He says, get hold of the eternal life. Lay hold on eternal life. By definition of eternal life, our Lord Jesus said, he says, this is eternal life that you may know one through God and the one he sent, Jesus Christ. Getting hold of eternal life means getting hold of our Lord Jesus and knowing him in, in that direction. But my emphasis is on this verse, verse 11. But you, O man of God, flee from these things and pursue and, uh, what he said. There's only twice in the New Testament that this phrase comes along, the man of God, and both of them in these letters, one in First Timothy and the second one in Second Timothy. Peter talks about the holy man of God who wrote the Bible. That's a different context. But in the New Testament, there's only two places that comes up. But if you go back to the Old Testament, praise phrase, the man of God, comes along many times. In general, I can say they were all prophets of the Lord, courageous prophets, one after another. God would give them a message, and they would deliver those messages in spite of all the difficulties or fear from all sides for their life, these prophets delivered the message. Every time I go through the Old Testament reading or listening to the prophets, I'm encouraged to such circumstances these people stood and delivered the message that God had for His people. Whether they're named in the Bible or unnamed, but that still the man of God is in the Old Testament. They were all faithful in their call that they had. The only one that I remember that disobeyed the Lord was this story we read, that this man of God, God told him, he lived in the house of, within the territory of the house of Judah. God told him, go to the house of Israel, deliver this message to the king. Don't sit down and eat and drink with anybody. When you deliver the message, come some other way back to your place. He did, obedient to the Lord. He went, delivered the message, very strong message and took another road coming back to Judah. On the way, however, this old prophet of the Lord met him, and he invited him to stay in my house to eat and drink. But this man of God says, Well, the Lord told me that I should not eat and drink with anybody, and take another road going back home. But then this old prophet said, Well, I'm a prophet of the Lord too. He told me that you should come and eat with me. So in this way, this man of God was deceived by this old prophet. So he brought him home. They ate and drank after they did this. same old prophet prophesied his doom was coming because he disobeyed God. So following day, we read that he saddled his donkey on his way to Judah, that this young lion came and just tore him apart. He disobeyed God. Even though he was deceived by this old prophet, I never understand why this old prophet deceived him. I always remember this man, the man of God. But he disobeyed and cost him his life. There was two times in the ministry that I have been called that I disobeyed the Lord. The first time, it was something that I knew from the Bible. Even though I knew it, but I disobeyed the Lord, I went the contrary to his word. I don't need to uh, say anything, but the consequence of that was very painful. And, but out of that, I learned. The second time, there was a period in, in our uh, uh, spiritual life, or rather our Christian life, that I was not sure what direction I was going. So my wife and I always prayed in, in during that time. And the Lord gave us a uh, solid word what to do during those days. I listened, but before I knew which direction to go, you know, I said, well, uh, what's going to happen if I get involved in this or that thing? Again, the end result was very painful and very disastrous experience that I had. Twice that I know that I disobeyed the Lord within the ministry that he has called me. I'm saying these are experiences uh, for me... um, I learned from it, from painful experiences, but this man of God lost his life because of it. From these examples, we can understand how serious God is. You know, when he calls someone, how serious he is. When he promises something or when when he says something to you, either from the word, Here, listen, if you clearly understand something from the word, from the Bible, you understand it. The Holy Spirit is revealing to you. If you know this for sure, disobeying the Lord is the same effect. Or if you have a direct word from the Lord, which my second experience was, is just as powerful as the first one. Disobeying it is always, uh, you know, with the consequences that you pay heavily uh, with it. So, but praise the Lord. I, I, I always say, by my mistakes in the past, uh, you know, I learned And we go forward. Now, that's I just said that, by the way, because I'm talking about the man of God. That's what I uh, was saying when I brought this example. Just by the way, how important it is to realize how serious God is. But when you come to the New Testament, as I said earlier, twice this man of God comes, and they're both in this letter. My question is... uh, if I ask you, is it just because it's not anywhere else it is only Timothy is the man of God no, obviously not the second verse that I want to read from you is from 2 is Timothy uh, chapter 3 verse 16 it says, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine that means teaching for reproof which means uh, rebuke For correction, for instruction in righteousness. That the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped with every good work. Why is the Bible uh, given to us as believers? That the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped with every good work. I tell you, who is the man of God? If you, as a born-again believer, you love the Word, and you love and read the Bible, you have that designation as the man of God. I just read that, right? Do you all see that? Why is the Bible given to you? Let me ask you this question. Who reads the Bible and understands it? Just think about it. You know, anybody can pick up the Bible and read it. But who reads it and understands it? Of course, the born agains. They have the new spirit and they have the Holy Spirit. Without the Holy Spirit, nobody can understand the Bible. They can read the stories, they can tell you the stories, but the real meaning of it, they will not get it. Amen? So who's reading the Bible? Only the born agains that have the capacity to understand. That's a solid truth from the Bible. If you're reading the Bible, if you love the word, you have the designation as the man of God or the woman of God. Right? You're not sure yet? You know, it's it's hard to say I'm the man of God, you know. Uh, And I'm not saying just go around and saying, oh, I'm the man of God. You know, modesty, after all, suits all of us better. But that's the fact. You are the man of God. You are the woman of God. If that is true in your life. And that's the purpose of the man of God in, in this. Uh, uh, that's why the Apostle Paul is directing uh, Timothy in this in this way. What is the man of God? In the New Testament, I have this uh, uh, verse that I read, not verse. It's a text that I read. It says, "In the New Testament, that title only belongs to those who are in spiritual position." By that, I mean simply this: our call is the spiritual position, not it's not a title given to us. And having a spiritual uh, position as born again believers. Let me uh, say it uh, more clearly. Every born-again believer has a ministry, has some calling. Every single believer, no matter who they are, what they are. And you are just that, and you do what you do because of that spiritual position, not just because they have given you a title of, let's say, elder, An elder that is called by the Lord is doing what he does because he is what he is in the Lord. That is his calling. He's not doing it for the title. By this, I'm saying another crisis of that time was up to that point, you know, uh, all false teachings was coming in. And part of that was the title, position pastor, teacher, whatever, and it has come all the way to us, to this generation. Just look at the uh, Christianity at large. So many churches, so many different churches, so many dead churches, you know, that have no spiritual life in them. But they have titles, you know, people are ministering and doing the work, this, that. All of that, you know, Uh, has something, it does something to people, you know, to go after all this. Just look at the Pentecost. 120 of them in the day of Pentecost were filled by the Holy Spirit. Among the uh, 120, 11 of them were the apostles. Just look at, trace their life. They did what they did because of that day that they were born again from the above and the calling that the Lord had for them and you trace them how they grow in the book of Acts anybody else you know uh, besides this the rest of them the rest of uh, among the hundred and twenty just one example I don't know if Stephen was there or not but he was one of the believers in the early church age in the beginning he was elected to, to serve on the tables between the Hellenistic Jews and the uh, Jews from Israel. He was waiting on, their, on the table, and the Bible says God was doing miracles in his uh, ministry. <clears throat> what happened to Stephen? He ended up, he was stoned to death. You see? Every single one had a ministry, and Stephen's ministry was to wait. On the table for the believers. <coughs> and all, all of that was changing uh, during the time that Apostle Paul was writing all this, you know, changing from what was inward to be something outward with the title, with everything else. But all I'm saying is simply that all of this what is important as who you are as a believer in Christ. What God is doing from within. And we are just that because that's how Holy Spirit is constituting us to be part of the body of Christ. That work, whatever it is that you do in the body, that's how the Holy Spirit is constituting us within the body of Christ. And that's the way. And nobody can change it. Whether you have the title or, or not, nobody can change the fact that you're ministering for the Lord and that's your calling in that way. So that's the man of God. Amen. And right among all this, Apostle Paul is saying to Timothy, endure. Endure this hardship like a soldier of Christ. Do you realize with all the persecution that was going on and all the difficulties, uh, turning points and crisis that they were in, yet Apostle Paul encourages uh, uh, Timothy, saying, endure. Endurance is the name of the game for the believers. To endure all the way to the end. Now... One of the important side of this layer that I'm, I'm sharing with you from these two letters of Paul is the fact that, you know, you can clearly see the crisis they were in. You can see how Apostle Paul was uh, wanting to make sure everything will be fine after he's gone. You can clearly see that, all the crisis, the turning point in the history of the church and all this. but. The important question would be what God was doing among them. What is God doing in the time of crisis, such as this, or any turning point in the history? Well, if I show you from the Bible, I can go back to the Egypt, that Passover night. Just look at the Passover night, a pivotal point in the lives of the Hebrews. uh, descendants of twelve sons of Jacob who were in Egypt that became numerous by the time by that time they were already two and a half million. What happened to them? They went from slavery to liberty to freedom just one night from death to life from all that that went on, they were nobody in Egypt now they were constituted as God's holy nation. And the creator, God was leading them towards uh, uh, the desert, out of Egypt. That's what God is doing at a serious turning point. Do you see that? And all the miracles that God did in order to change all that from death to life, from light to I mean, from darkness to light and, and all that he did to bring his people out. Well, he brought them out, unfortunately. They wandered for 40 years. Uh, the older generation did not believe that God is able to fulfill what he promised to them to bring them to the promised land. So all of them died in the desert during that uh, 40 years. Now came the new generation going to the promised land. Another Great turning point from wandering from the desert to the promised land, from living in tents to houses that they did not build. God gave each family a house with their garden, with their vineyard. And just read the book of Joshua, how God conquered that land. What he did, what God did to bring about that turning point from the desert all the way to promised land. That's what God is always doing. At the time of crisis, at a time of turning point in the in our history of, let's say, Christianity or his people, and also in, in our own lives. There's two paragraphs that the Apostle Paul speaks. I'm going to read uh, both of them for you. Uh, first one comes from the Second Timothy, chapter 2 Timothy 2, 8-9. In this paragraph, uh, I'm going to show you how God, what God is doing during a time of crisis. In this verse, Second 2 Timothy 2:8, 2, he says, "Remember that Jesus Christ of the seed of David was raised from the dead according to my gospel, for which I suffered trouble as an evildoer, even to the point of chains. But the word of God is not changed; it is not chained." He says, Remember Jesus from the seed of David. Just these two phrases. Remember Jesus, the seed of David. The seed of David means Jesus is the one that God promised to David. Not that Timothy doesn't know it, but he's a reminder. Jesus is the one. He's the one that God said to David, Your seed. Your son will take the throne and his, his uh, kingdom will be everlasting. Speaking of our Lord Jesus, not Solomon. Everlasting. So Paul is saying, remember Jesus, the seed of David. If that's not enough, he can go farther back in the Old Testament to Egypt. When Jacob, before he was dying, he blessed 12 of his sons. And to Judah, he says, the scepter shall not depart from your house. Speaking of from what tribe the seed would come, from from then on everybody would know that it will come from the uh, descendants of Judah. If that's not enough, you go back further to the Garden of Eden. To the serpent God said, the seed of the woman will crush your head and you will bruise his heel. Everybody knows in this day and age why Jesus came, I mean, among the believers, and ultimately what he did, died on the cross, you know. You can also understand it from the Old Testament. Anybody in the Old Testament read Isaiah 53 cannot miss the fact that the anointed one, the servant of, of the Lord, would come and, and, and give his life for ransom for many. If they read, read their Old Testament, That's clearly understood. If that's not enough in the Garden of Eden, you can go back to the past eternity when the book of Revelation says he was slain from the foundation of the world. In other words, the entire Old Testament, this is my understanding of it, entire Old Testament, all God was doing is to bring everybody to Christ. And to the one that he promised from past eternity in the Garden of Eden, in Egypt, to David, all the way when Jesus was born. Amen? Amen. The time came that he came, unfortunately, his people rejected him. That's the bottom line. Why is he reminding uh, Timothy about all this? Simply, he says, You're in crisis of some sort, remember Jesus. He's the answer. When I said you go back all the way to the past eternity, all I'm saying is God is faithful. What he promised, he will do. Just go back as far as you can go back, even in the past eternity, you can clearly see all that. What God has pr- promised, he's faithful, and he will do it. And he's the one. I just said the entire Old Testament is... The purpose of the entire Old Testament is to bring his people to Christ. Now, are you in crisis of some sort? Remember Jesus. That's the answer. That is exactly what God is doing. Right now. Let me give you some examples. Very simple examples. Do you have any difficulty with one of the members of the church? remember Jesus that's the answer is there any difficulty in the congregation it, at times it happens remember Jesus that's the answer you see that is what Apostle Paul is saying to Timothy are you depressed you know there's always a reason for being depressed unless you're out of your mind and you want to be in depression there's always a reason to be depressed. The thing to do, remember Jesus. He's the answer. And that is exactly what the Apostle Paul is saying in these verses remember him. Another verse I'm going to read it for you is from 1 Timothy, this one from chapter 3. From verse 14. These things I write to you, though I hope to come to you shortly. This is his first letter. But if I am delayed, I write so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God, my Lord. Which is the church of the living God, the pillar, the ground of the truth. Verse 16, and without controversy, that means without debate or any discussion, without any argument, and without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. He's going to explain the definition of godliness. He says, without controversy, without any argument, this is the definition of the word godliness. What does he say? And he says this is a mystery. God was manifested in flesh, justified in the spirit. God manifested in flesh. Remember the first chapter of Gospel of John. John literally, he says, that God struck a tent in human flesh. In other words, he put on human flesh. Just a Just the same as you and I put on a coat. God struck a tent in human flesh. That's how he came. Justified by the Spirit. Was he justified just like you and I are justified? No. How was he justified? I'm speaking about our Lord Jesus. How was he justified? Well, his entire life he lived for the Lord. And when he died voluntarily... Three days later, God raised him from the dead. That was his justification. Amen? So, let me read this verse again. And without controversy, without argument, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifested in flesh, justified in the spirit, seen by the angels, preached among the Gentiles, believed on the world, received up in glory all of that he's explaining the word godliness that's the mystery godliness means God likeness and who is that our Lord Jesus he speaks of a great deal about godliness in these two letters and that's what the Lord is doing what he's doing in us is simply this He's replicating himself that one day he can fill this universe by himself with his body, who we are, if you hold fast all the way to the end. Amen? Amen. Did you get anything from today's message? What part of it was so important? That in any crisis... You can come, we all come to crisis in our life. A turning point, as serious as it could be. Individually, family, and collectively in the church. What is the thing to do? What is God doing for that? He's saying to you, remember Jesus. He's the answer for all of that. Not just for one. You know, I... Usually pray for everything, any difficulty I I come across, you know, whether it's work, home, anything else, church, well, church is always in my mind, you know, Uh, I pray for you all, all day long, Nah, I'm just kidding, (laughs) but I do pray for everything, but sometimes, you know, at home, uh, you know, I share things with my wife, you know. I'm just sharing. I'm not complaining. I'm not saying anything difficult or anything. I would say like, man, not man. (laughs) I would say like, uh, you know, I had a difficulty with the project I'm working. Um, You know, uh, if I was at work or had a conference uh, through team uh, Microsoft team, I would say like, man, how difficult some people are. And the first thing she said, let's pray. And here I am. That's not what is in my mind because none of that is important. But she says, let's pray. And I've learned how the Lord is working for her. I'm not arguing with her. I have come to learn even the simplest things that's not in my mind. It, it makes no difference to me whether somebody is difficult or not. You know, it's not going to change anything in my life. But the thing is, I learned when she says that. You know, we we end up praying, and things change in a different direction. I'm just saying, it is not always that I'm conscious of uh, praying for little things, but it is important. It is not a weakness to pray or remembering the Lord in this situation, but rather it's a strength that the Lord gives. Amen. Praise the Lord, you know we have a communion today, so uh, at this time I will ask the ushers to lead you to come and take these elements, which is one package. you know they made it easier. Um, and then I'll have the final words, and we will take the communion together <clears throat> I know it's hard to open that little bottle, little wine thing. It took me (laughs) a minute to open it. okay um, most of you in this church know uh, that Apostle John wrote his gospel and the book of Revelation during his 90s and of course during his time at that time the church uh, was much more uh, headed in the wrong direction and God gave uh, John this vision in the island of Patmos, and the first chapter that you read is the vision of a, our Lord Jesus, that nobody's seen Him before, the way John describes. You know, even at the height of that kind of a turning point, it begins with the new vision of our Lord Jesus, and that's the point of today's message. He is the answer for everything, whatever that you can think of. Whatever that you and I may not think of, he's the answer. In one of the important sides of coming to the table of the Lord is because we're obeying what the Lord said. In the last supper, the Lord, as the, the gospel say, he took the cup, blessed it. He said, take it. This is the new covenant in my blood. And then later he took the bread, blessed it, broke it, and gave it to us. He said, eat it. This is my body, which is broken for you. And then he says, Do this as often as you do it, remember me. Apostle Paul uh, repeats it word by word from our Lord Jesus, except at the end he adds, Until he comes. That means we're going to do this as often as we do it until the Lord comes or uh, we go. In either case, that means our entire life here on earth, on earth. But here's today's message. Is this the only time you remember him? Of course not. That was the point. And the, one of the strong points of what Paul was saying to Timothy, in any crisis, in any time in the, uh, your life, personal life, church life, whatever it is, remember him because he's the answer. By obeying him, we are... Honoring God in this way. What do I mean by that? If you remember our Lord Jesus, I'm not just saying just remember him, but act upon what he said in that specific condition that you are. Act upon him, and by doing so, you're honoring God. Here's the name Timothy. What Timothy means is Timo, Timotheos. Honoring God. And that's how you and I are honoring God because we are allowing the Holy Spirit to work to do his constitution in us for us to become just that, whatever it is our calling as the man of God or the woman of God. Amen? And we remember him again, not just during the communion. This is, of course, is a blessed time as we come together taking it together as the congregation. But remembering Him will build your spiritual life. In your daily life, in any time of when you come in, in any difficulty, whatever it is, I just want to reiterate this, how important it is. Whatever it is in your life, even I said depression, the Lord is the answer because He cares. And through that, He's making uh, you part of uh, What he has for you, as far as your calling, Amen. Just let take it together. Remember all this, and and let it let it for you to digest from this. And I would suggest, if you want, you can read this first and second Timothy uh, during uh, coming days. Just refresh yourself. What I just said. See if you can see a different layer. I don't um, forget that years ago this is in 80s late 80s that part of I came to understand the message of kingdom was from second letter of uh, Timothy Paul's letter second letter to Timothy and I've spoke five messages because of the five chapters back in late 80s and I remember there's a great deal of uh, uh, comments after I spoke but Second Timothy was instrumental for me to understand the message of the kingdom. But I'm not, uh, I don't want to use uh, the word message of the kingdom lately because it has lost its value and the potency it had, you know, years ago when the Lord started uh, this message. i rather say our higher calling in the New Testament. And in fact, I want to say with the Spirit, the way the Apostle, the apostle says in book of hebrews holy brethren partakers of the heavenly calling that has for me more potency than today if i say the message of the kingdom because i know people use it that phrase they use it very lightly it has lost its value but this second uh, uh, letter of paul to timothy was instrumental uh, uh, for me through which I came to understand the message of kingdom in parallel with the book of Hebrews. So it's, it's, that's why I'm uh, suggesting in coming days, uh, just read both of them. It won't, it won't take even 20 minutes to read both of them or listen to it. Amen? Let's take it together, remembering our Lord Jesus. Bless you, Lord. Hallelujah. May the Lord bless you and multiply his words in you. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you all.